Thanks for listening to the Northridge Christian Podcast. At Northridge, we exist to help people move closer to Christ. We believe that following Jesus is a journey, and we want to help you through that journey any way we can. We pray that you grow in your walk with God through this message today. So prepare your heart and mind for this teaching from our lead pastor, Adam Scott. This morning, we're actually launching a brand new series. And this is one that I am really, really pumped about. We've been talking about this for a long time, and and we're calling the series All In. Okay, and the idea behind this series is that even though a relationship with Jesus doesn't cost us anything, okay, meaning we can't earn it, like we can't achieve it on our own. We're not going to get into heaven on our own. Even though it doesn't cost us anything, it demands everything from us. A relationship with Jesus demands that we sell out, that we put it all on the line, and that we hold nothing back. We're kind of building the whole series off of this one verse in 2 Chronicles 16.9. It says, For the eyes of the Lord range throughout the earth to strengthen those whose hearts are fully committed to Him. You see, what this verse means is that at this very moment, God is scanning the world that He created. He is scanning the United States of America. He's scanning the state of Georgia. He's scanning the city of Milledgeville. And he is scanning the hearts of the people that are in this room. And he's looking for a person or a group of people or maybe even a church to say, I'm all in. And when he finds those people, he's going to place his power and his purpose on their life. And incredible things are going to happen. Listen, this series is all about putting our hands in the air. It's all about putting our names on the list and our city on the map. I'm really, really pumped about this. Now, to kick off the series, I, I, want, I want you to think of Christianity like, a, like a, a lunchtime road trip. Like you're on a road trip and it's, it's time for lunch and there's two different phases of that lunchtime pursuit. Okay, the first one is, is really casual. Like you look down and you realize that it's, it's, it's almost lunchtime and, and so you start looking at the signs as you pass by, waiting on something to catch your eye. Like, you're not distracted by it. You're not letting it impact your concentration or your conversation. But if if something catches your eye, you're going to pull off and you're going to stop. My family calls that the Chick-fil-A phase of travel right there. Like, we're waiting on the good stuff. Okay, but there's another level of a lunchtime pursuit, and it's anything but casual. Okay, this is is 1.30 in the afternoon, and you haven't passed an exit in miles. I mean, like your breakfast is gone, your stomach is growling, maybe you got kids that are screaming from the backseat, and you're having an all-out fight with Siri to figure out where the next exit is so that you can stop and eat somewhere. See, this is where you start praying and saying, God, I would settle and even thank you for a gas station Taco Bell at this particular moment. You know where that is, right? You've been there. Let me ask you something. Which one of these metaphors better describes the way in which you and I pursue Christ? Is it casual? I mean, are we aware of his presence in the background or is it desperate where every area of our lives is impacted by a hunger to experience more and more of him? Listen, today we're going we're gonna to look at a story of a guy named Elijah, one of my favorite stories in the Bible. It's found in 1 Kings chapter 18, and it's, it's a story of a man who, who lived his life in desperate pursuit of God, but he also called on others just like us to live our lives in the same way as well. So let's jump into the story. Elijah is a prophet in the Old Testament during the reign of a king named King Ahab. Now, King Ahab was 
easily the worst and the most ungodly king that the nation of Israel had ever had. You see, he participated and promoted idol worship, and and he discouraged followers of God from making any real commitment to God. The Bible tells us that, that King Ahab did more to arouse God's anger than any who had come before him. That's quite a reputation. Now, through Elijah, God has warned King Ahab over and over and over that there's going to be consequences for his actions. You see, it's actually, there's no other king in Israel's history that received more warnings from God. But instead of allowing God's warnings to soften his heart, they caused him to dig his heels in and seek revenge against God's messenger, Elijah. The story kicks off in 1 Kings 18, 17, when when King Ahab finally comes face to face with Elijah. This is what happens, 1 Kings 18, 17. When he saw Elijah, he said to him, is that you, you troubler of Israel? Apparently that's his nickname. Okay, that's his reputation at this particular moment. Elijah is known even by people who dislike him for the way in which he's living out his relationship with God. You see, what we learn right here is that King Ahab doesn't mind followers of God who check their faith at the door. King Ahab doesn't mind followers of God who look like the rest of the world. That's what the nation of Israel is doing. But Elijah is different. See, Elijah is radical. He's fanatic. He's fully committed, and he is all in. And as a result, he has the unmistakable presence and power of God on his life. Listen, I just want to point out the obvious right here, that the world we live in today sides with King Ahab on this. The world we live in today doesn't mind followers of God that look like the rest of the world, do they? But they don't want followers of God that allow the way they believe in God, the experience and relationship they have with Him to impact the way they live, act, or think. But that's what we're called to do as believers. And we should have a reputation in the community and in our world for following Jesus with everything that we've got. You see, if we don't have that kind of reputation as a community or even as individuals, we need to lean into Elijah's message here in just a minute because he's going to challenge us to take a step of faith. First thing he does is he tells the king, he says, I want you to summon all 450 prophets of Baal. Okay, now Baal is the most prominent idol in the nation and it's the biggest distraction for the nation of Israel, the followers of God in that area. And so he says, I want you to bring all 450 of these prophets together When they come together, he turns to address the nation. And this is what he says in verse 21. It says, Elijah went before the people and he said, how long will you waver between two opinions? If the Lord is God, follow him. But if Baal is God, follow him. But the people said nothing. You see, apparently the nation of Israel, they had not rejected God completely, but they had not made any real commitment to him either. It was kind of like they were dividing their focus and their attention between Baal and God. You see, they wanted to do enough to keep God happy, but they didn't want to do quite enough to make Baal mad. And so they were lukewarm and they were half-hearted trying to appeal to both sides. What Elijah does is he says, you can't waver anymore. He draws a line in the sand and he says, the time is now for you to make a commitment, for you to decide, am I going all in with God or am I going all in with Baal? Why does he say this? If you're taking notes, you'll want to write this down. Because he knows that commitment to God cannot be halved. Commitment to God cannot be halved. It cannot be split. Our devotion, our commitment, our heart, it's not a pizza. 
It's not a sandwich. It's not a bet. It's not a ticket that can be split two or three ways. God's people cannot be devoted to him while simultaneously living for anything that competes with or stands in opposition to him. In Exodus chapter 20, God describes himself as a jealous God. In Matthew chapter 6, Jesus tells us that no one can serve two masters. See, God desires and deserves to be everything, and he will not settle for anything less. See, when I think about this, I think about when I was a kid, probably eight or nine years old, and me and my younger brother, we were playing a game out in the front yard. It's wintertime, it's cold, and whatever the game was, it caused us to run to the backyard, and, and we tried to open the fence, but the lock was frozen up. And, and we weren't about to stop what we were doing, and so we decided we were going to jump the fence. More specifically, I decided that my brother was going to jump the fence. I was going to let him go first. So he climbed all the way to the top, and he slung one leg over the top of the fence, and he tried to pull off, but something happened. He got stuck. See, he felt a cold spike on his leg, and it ripped a hole in his pants. And all of a sudden, he began to panic. And he twisted this way to try and become unstuck, and he twisted that way to try and become unstuck, but he just got himself deeper and deeper into trouble. And it was at that moment that I realized something very important, and that's that being on the fence is not a place that you want to stay very long. But let me tell you, sometimes we play the same dangerous game with God, don't we? I'm not saying that we toss him out completely, but we do waver back and forth between our commitment to God and our commitment to him, and we get ourselves into a mess. See, a lot of times we straddle the fence between God's truth and our own. Can I tell you, one of the most dangerous things about us as a culture is that we value our thoughts too much. You see, in the book of Isaiah, God says, my thoughts are not your thoughts. They don't always line up. They're not always going to match. God's word is truth. And sometimes we have to sacrifice our own thinking even so that we can lean into what God has in store for us. But so many times we waver, don't we? We go back and forth, back and forth. In the same way, we straddle the fence between God's desire for us and the desires that swell up inside of us. Let me give you an example. The most prevalent idol in our world today is sexual identity. See, we think, we think I've got these desires and so everything must be okay. But, but when our sexual desires don't line up with God's plan for us, the book of Romans tells us that we need to forsake those things so that we can clothe ourselves with Christ. But so many times we waver, don't we? go back and forth between God's plan and the plan the world has for us. See, here's the truth that we need to understand. We cannot date God while pursuing an idol. God desires a relationship with us, and he sent Jesus to provide the way in which we have that relationship. But because he's God, he gets to set the terms of that relationship. Commitment to God cannot, should not, and will not be halved. If we're in church, We've got to be all in. Amen? Amen? Let's dig a little bit deeper into the story. The nation of Israel, they're not ready to make a commitment. They're indecisive and they're silent. They're quiet. They won't say a word. They're comfortable on the fence and they don't want to take that step of faith until Elijah shows them what they're missing. You see, he challenges the prophets of Baal to a showdown. He says, here's what I want you to do. I, I want all 450 of you to build this altar and, and I want you to find this animal to sacrifice on the altar. And I want you to cry out to God to send fire down onto this altar. And if your God shows up, then he's God. 
He says, but when you're done, I'm going to do the same thing. And if my God shows up, then he is God and he is worthy of an unhalved commitment. Now, there's a couple things we got to understand about this showdown. Elijah is outnumbered 450 to 1. So if success is on the line and it comes down to sheer volume alone, there is no way that Elijah is going to be successful. In addition to that, Baal is known as the god of the sun and the storms. He's often depicted holding a lightning bolt. They used to think that was fire coming down from heaven. And so the challenge that Elijah issues is basically a challenge that stacks the deck in their favor. Let's see what happens, verses 26 through 29. It says, then they, the prophets of Baal, they called out on the name of Baal from morning until noon. Baal, answer us, they shouted, but there was no response and no one answered. They danced around the altar they had made. At noon, Elijah began to taunt them. Shout louder, he said, surely he's a God. Perhaps he's deep in thought or busy or traveling. Maybe he's sleeping and must be awakened. And so they shouted louder and slashed themselves with swords and spears, as was their custom, until their blood flowed. Midday passed, and they continued their frantic prophesying until the time for the evening sacrifice. But there was no response, no one answered, and no one paid attention. Listen, they called out from morning until night. They were loud, they were enthusiastic, they were sincere, they danced and they cut themselves, but nothing happened. Elijah is unsympathetic. He mocks them. As a matter of fact, that word busy that we just read in the English can actually be translated as a euphemism for using the bathroom. Elijah actually says, maybe your God is in the bathroom and can't hear you. He is having way too much fun with this and he's just getting started. Elijah prepares his altar and he arranges the the sacrifice and then he digs a trench all the way around and he calls on people to pour water on it. I don't know if you know much about starting fires, but this is not the way to do it. He says, don't just pour water once. Don't just pour water twice. Pour water three times. You see, he's wanting to make an impression on these people. And because of that, he asks more of God than he did of Baal. Verses 36 through 7 tell us what happens. It says, at the time of sacrifice, the prophet Elijah stepped forward and prayed, Lord, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Israel, let it be known today that you are God in Israel and that I am your servant and have done all these things at your command. Answer me, Lord, answer me, so these people will know that you, Lord, are God and that you are turning their hearts back again. See, short, sweet, and to the point, but essentially what Elijah does is he says, I want to make sure everybody knows this isn't my scheme. This isn't my strategy. This isn't my plan. This is me being obedient to what God has called me to do. Then in verse 38, it says, Then the fire of the Lord fell and burned up the sacrifice, the wood, the stones, and the soil, and also licked up the water in the trench. Listen, I don't think even Elijah expected this to happen. I mean, you understand the battle, right? A little tiny flame would have done the trick, but when our God decides that he is going to show up and show out, it shatters expectations. You see, Elijah's petition, it wasn't loud, it wasn't long, it wasn't as intense as the prophets of Baal. As a matter of fact, it appears that it didn't last for more than a minute. But the thing that made the difference is the one that was being addressed. He's addressing his request to the one true living God that he is fully committed to following and surrendering his life to. Here's the second big truth that we pull out of this story. Passion will make an impression, 
But commitment to God will make the impossible possible. You see, the prophets of Baal, they were full of passion and it served no purpose at all. Elijah's passion matched his commitment to God and it changed everything. The question we got to be asking, church, is which one are we? Are we passionate? Are we committed and sold out? Any football fans in the room? Okay, we had, we had the whole John Millage football team here in the last service, and, and so we, we brought this up and, and, and talked about a coach. Um, I don't know if you've heard of him. His name is Dabo Sweeney um, over at Clemson. Any Clemson fans? Don't brag about it. Good job. Okay. <laughs> Dabo Sweeney, he became the coach of Clemson in 2008, and, and when he became the coach, he introduced a new tradition. What he did was he gave all the players poker chips. And, and before they were to come out onto the field, before they even left the locker room, they were to throw their poker chips in this bucket that they called the all-in bucket. And every single game, this is what they did as a way of saying, I am all in. I'm going for broke. I'm going to give it everything I've got for the game, for the season, for the team. I'm going all in. And you got to understand, fans are shouting all over the place. Okay, fans are screaming, fans are shouting, fans are making all kinds of noise. They're passionate and loud. But get this, it's the ones who go all in that make something happen. Fans can scream and shout themselves into a frenzy, but it's the players that say, I'm all in, that allow something to happen through them. Why does this matter? Well, because we've got a lot of passion in here. Listen, Sunday mornings is by far my favorite time of the entire week. But we can sing and dance ourselves into a frenzy and still accomplish nothing. But let me tell you something. If that passion syncs up with a commitment to the one and only living God, then he can send fire down from heaven and change the world through us. See, lives will be changed. Brokenness will be healed. Community will be formed. Unity will be achieved. And what we experience in this place, it'll no longer be confined to this place. It will infiltrate the community and the world through us, all because we go all in with the God of the impossible. Remember what it says in 2 Chronicles 16, 9, it says, the eyes of the Lord range throughout the earth to strengthen those whose hearts are fully committed to him. What that means is that God is looking at this place, and although I'm sure he loves the singing, and I'm sure he loves to see arms spread out, if those things are by themselves, they're hollow. But when it expresses a commitment, it invites God's power to, on display through us. And that's what we're calling for as a church. We want to see the power of God on display in and through us by the commitment that we make to him. Let's read one more verse. The story began with Elijah calling on the people to make a commitment, right? And you remember they were silent. They didn't say anything. But now they've experienced the power and presence of God firsthand, and they're going to respond differently. This is what it says in 1 Kings 18, 39. It says, when all the people saw this, they fell prostrate and cried, the Lord, he is God. The Lord, he is God. You see, having experienced the power and presence of God, they became desperate to lift their voices to him, to surrender their life to him, and to go all in. And what happens next is they pursue and they eliminate all of the influence of Baal on their nation tells us that Isaiah, I mean, that Elijah actually outruns a chariot on a 16-mile journey. They have momentum, and God is doing something powerful through them. Why? Because they abandoned their casual, half-hearted pursuits and began to live their life for God. Here's the third and final thing I really want you to grasp as we work through this text together. The time to go all in is now. 
The time for you and I, for us to go all in is now. The world has enough casual Christians that are waiting for something shiny to catch their eye. Man, but we want to see the power and presence of God on display through us. And it's going to happen when we take the plunge, when we go for broke, and when we say, I'm all in. Can I tell you what that means? Students, you're starting back to school this week, last week. What that means is that your school is primed and perfectly set up to be the base camp for God's operation right here in Milledgeville. Your school is the place that God wants to set up shop and make something powerful happen. But it's not just going to happen because your teachers show up on fire for Jesus. It's not just going to happen because your principal prays for you. It's not just going to happen because Joey comes up and speaks at FCA. It's going to happen because you wake up in the morning and you say, I'm sold out, I'm all in, and I want to see God move in and through me at this place. When you do that, it's going to start a movement, guys. You're the church of today, not the church of tomorrow, and God wants to do something powerful through you. Let me tell you something, adults. Okay, they're looking at us. They're wanting to see an example of people that take this seriously. They're wanting to see people that say, I'm not going to be half-hearted when I go to work. I'm not going to be lukewarm in the way that I enter this community. I'm going to, I'm going to pray diligently. I'm going to fight for God's presence to be known through me. I'm going to be bold. I'm going to be sold out. I'm going to be all in. And I'm going to allow this community to be the place that gets God's attention because we're ready and available to be used by Him. Listen, we have a responsibility as followers of Christ to step out in faith and say, God, we are ready for you to do something powerful. Listen, as a church, that's what we're praying for throughout this series. See, we're not praying for a little bitty flame on the fire. We're asking God to send a fire down that's gonna consume us and transform the world through us. We believe God's ready to work. and We're praying that he would work through us now. Here's our sermon in a sentence. Boil it all down to one sentence so that you can take it with you. God dismisses casual pursuits, but he shows up in unwavering commitments. And together, we're gonna make an unwavering commitment so that God will move in a powerful way. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for using messed up, broken people like us to accomplish amazing things. God, there's nothing in us that qualifies us for your mission. There's nothing in us that qualifies us to be used by you, but God, we know that it's in our weakness that you show up and show out and do an amazing work. And so we pray that right here and right now, you would work in our hearts, allow us wherever we're planted to be all in for you. God, I pray that you would maximize our efforts and that you would allow amazing things to happen in us and through us. God, we want this community to be transformed by you. We pray that you set our hearts on fire so that can happen through us now. We pray all this in Jesus' name, amen. Hey, listen, over the next few moments, we're gonna sing a song. And, and I want you to know, I'm really excited about this series. We actually started out, it was gonna be five weeks. I think we're gonna extend it because there's so many things that God's placing on my heart that it's just bubbling over. But I, I want you to be as excited about it as I am because I want you to believe that God is gonna do a movement through us right here and right now. And so what I'm asking for is prayer. I want you to pray that God would show up in the lives of the people sitting next to you and the teens sitting over here and the person across the room and the people in the other service so that God's power would be on display. We're gonna have the altars opened up so that you can come up and pray during the psalm. Maybe you wanna do that. Maybe you wanna pray where you are. We're also gonna have people available in the front corners of the room. You can just follow the light and they'd love to talk with you about whatever barriers are in your life that are keeping you from going all in with 
Jesus. Well, listen, we're gonna sing this song and we're gonna sing our hearts out and we're gonna ask God to send fire from heaven and transform this community through us. Y'all stand up and let's sing. Thanks for listening to this message. You can keep up with what's happening at Northridge on your mobile device through our Northridge Christian app. If you have any questions about Northridge, you can contact us at info at northridge.online.